So do you know the meaning of your name? You know what your name means? I once looked up the most foundational meaning of my name one time, and my name means dark hair. Now, I guess it's a good thing I didn't turn out red or blonde, you know, as I grew up, but, you know, dark hair, that's, that's it. I know eventually I will probably be referred to as Pastor Ballard because the word Ballard, name Ballard, means bald. So I know eventually I won't have dark hair, I just won't have any hair. That's what's happening in my future. Amen, that's right. More, more than one. I love it. You know, though, if you think about it, I mean, really, what's in a name? There's a little test here. Try to think through this. What do you think of when I say some of the following names? Da Vinci, Shakespeare, um, Churchill, Gandhi, Regis, Oprah, Elvis, Ringo, Pele, Messi, Jordan, Tiger, Elmo, Popeye. What do you think of when you hear those names? There's, there's something that connects. We, we know something about those people. We know their reputation. We know things about them just by hearing their name. But what if there was someone who had a name that could change your life? What if there was a name that someone had that could radically impact and influence and change your marriage? Change your kids? Change your semester. Change your career. Change your holiday. Change your surgery. Even change your funeral. That sounds like a pretty powerful name, right? Well, there is a name just like that. And we're going to find out what it is. Listen to Isaiah 9, verse 6. For a child will be born to us, and his name will be called Prince of Peace. In the Old Testament, a person's name was more than just something that you called them. It was who they were. It was their reputation. And so when a parent was coming up with a name for a child, they sometimes would name their child something they hoped their child would become one day. And so Isaiah, he's writing about the baby Jesus here. He's writing about the future Messiah King. And these are the names that he's using in verse 6. He calls him Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, and Prince of Peace. I haven't seen any of those names on someone's birth certificate lately. Right? Those, are, those are some significant names, some serious names with some serious meanings that lead to some serious reputation. Especially that last one. Jesus is called the Prince of Peace peace. You know, we live in a time and an age where everybody is longing for peace, and guess what? That's nothing new to us. There's always been a desire for peace. If you surf the internet, picked up a newspaper this week, then you may have seen that in the news this week there's civil war in South Sudan. There are increased war zones and increased conflicts in Ukraine. In Puerto Rico, where a hurricane came through and devastated the entire land, foreclosures on houses are increasing. There's been murders right here in our community. There's been businesses that have closed right here in our community. There's been jobs that have been lost right here in our community. In our nation's capital, there's arguing and debating about all kinds of issues. And even this past week during the holidays, maybe between spouses or parents and kids or in-laws, maybe even on the way to church this morning, there's been arguing and debating, even in our own lives. 
This is the time of year that we hear about peace. And there is a need for peace. From the middle of the world to the middle of the government to the middle of our kitchen, there's a need for peace. And this is the time of year that that phrase that we hear out there, peace on earth, goodwill to men. So where did that phrase come from? Well, it was a song of the angels to the shepherds. Luke chapter 2, verse 14. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. What does that mean, though? The Amplified Bible translation adds some, some commentary, so to speak, expresses it a little more in detail. It says this, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace among men with whom He is well pleased, men of goodwill, men of His favor. What that means is this, Real, lasting peace comes to those who are saved. Real, lasting peace comes to those who know Christ. See, when the angels were singing this song to the shepherds in Bethlehem that night, what they were saying to the shepherds was this, Go, find Jesus. You need Jesus. Jesus is the only source of lasting peace. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. See, Jesus doesn't just sing songs about peace on a Christmas album. Jesus doesn't just dress up as the Prince of Peace once a year to entertain kids. He is the Prince of Peace. There is no other. This is what the Apostle Paul wrote the church at Ephesus, Ephesians 2.13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And what does that do? Verse 14. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Dividing wall of hostility. What, what is that? And what kind of wall is that? Well, if a person is not a follower of Jesus Christ, they are hostile to God. Now, they may not look hostile, they may not feel hostile. They may not act hostile. But if we were to collect all the teachings of Jesus, there's a consistent theme that comes from it, and that is this. Every person is either a friend of God or an enemy of God. You are either hostile toward God's ways, or you are loving and obedient and faithful to God's ways. According to all that we see in the Scripture, there is no in-between. And if a person is an enemy of God, they do not have real peace. Now, they may have some peace, right? They may have peace from things that we get here on earth, you know, things like family and friends and, you know, entertainment and employment and money and, and sports and, and maybe even a few days of holiday cheer. You know, there's, there's a little bit of, of peace that any of us can find at any given moment. But that peace is not lasting peace. See, the peace we get from the things of the world cannot really help us in our darkest and hardest moments. The peace that we get from the world, it, it cannot help us when our last moment on earth arrives. See, the peace that, that comes from Jesus, this Prince of Peace, that kind of peace can satisfy us in our deepest and darkest moment, and it can satisfy us even beyond. Isaiah did not accidentally write down that Jesus is the Prince of Peace. He's the prince. He's the commander. He's the captain, the chief, the ruler. Is that who Jesus is to you? 
Or is Jesus just a cute baby in the manger at Christmas time? Or is Jesus your prince? Is he your, your boss, your ruler? Because here's the thing. The peace that Jesus offers, it only comes to the soul who is submitting to and surrendering to Jesus. You see, the more we yield to Jesus, the more we submit to Jesus, the more we surrender to Jesus, the more peace that we have. And the less we submit to Jesus, the less we surrender to Him, the less we yield to Him, the less peace we will have in this life. The peace that comes from Jesus is a different peace. What kind of peace? Well, if we pull everything together in the Bible, we get a lot of pictures of what the peace of Jesus looks like. Here's just a few pictures from the Bible, okay? It's a peace that brings safety, happiness, absence of strife, fulfillment, completeness, harmony, and satisfaction. Gross, right? I mean, who wants that junk, man? I don't want any of that mushy stuff in my life. No, 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 no. Bring me fear. Bring me worry. Bring me stress. Bring me anger. Bring me frustration. Bring me conflict. That's what I want in life, right? No. Listen, what your heart longs for the most, what your soul is thirsty for the most, is the peace that only comes from Jesus. How do we know that that's true? We see God has set Jesus up as the greatest treasure in the universe. So no matter what we get for Christmas, no matter what we get for our birthday, no matter how great our anniversary is, no matter how great our 50th birthday party is, it doesn't matter. The greatest treasure in the universe is Jesus. That's how God has designed the universe to work. He is the ultimate source of peace. He is the ultimate source of satisfaction. Jesus by himself, in himself, is the satisfying one. He is the Prince of Peace. There's absolutely nobody like Jesus. So this peace that Jesus has, where, where does it go in our lives? Is it just this fancy, you know, theology that we'll talk about a little bit at Christmas time, the Prince of Peace, or does it do something actually in our lives? Well, yeah, it does. The peace of Jesus affects our lives in, in three main places. Jesus makes peace between us and God. Jesus makes peace between us and ourselves. And Jesus makes peace between us and other people. Let's just think through those a little bit. Jesus brings peace between us and God. Romans chapter 5 verse 1 says this, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus, he brings peace by making you right with God. Bruce Gitchie says it this way, Jesus is the Prince of Peace because He makes peace with God possible. He made a trade with us. He placed His goodness on our account and put our sin and failure on His account. That's not good math, right? He's innocent. He's never sinned. He's perfect. He's the Son of God. Why should all of our junk go on His account? But that's exactly how it went. And then he says this, when Jesus died on the cross, he paid off our sin debt. Has that trade been made in your life? Has the the debt of your sin been paid off? Are you yielding and surrendering to Jesus? Or are you hanging on to your sin with all that you have? Just pushing and rejecting the gospel with every chance you get. If so, then the Bible says you're, you're an enemy of God. 
The Bible says that you're far away from God. You're separated from Him, and you'll be separated from Him forever. You are not near Him. Your debt has not been paid off. But in Christ, with Christ, we are brought near to God. And the debt is paid off. The wall of hostility is broken down, and we are right with God. Peace comes between us and God. Jesus is the Prince of Peace, and the Prince of Peace makes peace between us and God. He also helps us to make peace with ourselves. I don't know if you know this, but life is really, really messy. (laughs) Really messy. And some people's lives are a lot messier than other people's lives. Every single day, I talk with or meet someone who is walking through really messy, difficult things in life. Guess she goes on to say this. If you're feeling stressed, get a prescription. If your relationship is a struggle, get a divorce. If you feel overwhelmed, buy something. If you feel guilty, keep searching until you find someone who tells you that you aren't doing anything wrong. That's how the world answers the mess of our lives. Just go buy something. Go take something. Go find somebody to tell you that you're okay and everything's all right. But those are just band-aids. They can't reach our souls. They're, they're just temporary things. They don't have lasting peace. So how do, we, how do we get lasting peace? How do we find lasting peace? One day Jesus turned to his closest friends and he said this, Matthew 10, 34, Do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Huh. <laughs> Look, you can bring a folk guitar to a pumpkin fight, but I'm pretty sure you're not supposed to bring a sword to a peace treaty, right? But this doesn't make sense. This sounds like Jesus is talking crazy. So what does he mean? Well, I want to try to answer that through something that a senior adult in the church said. A senior adult named Simeon. Jesus was still just a baby, and and Mary and Joseph took him to the temple, and there was this man, Simeon, there. And God showed Simeon that that Jesus was the Messiah. He revealed it to him. And so Simeon approached Mary and Joseph and and asked if he could hold baby Jesus. And this is what he said, Luke 2. Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel and for a sign to be opposed and a sword will pierce even your own soul to the end that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. you got to think Mary and Joseph were like, yeah, thanks for that creepy blessing, old man. Give us our kid back, all right? So, so what, is, what is Simeon saying? What is, what is he communicating? David Guzik puts it this way. Possibly no other human agonized as much over Jesus' rejection and suffering as his mother did. This was not only because of the natural love of a mother, but also because his rejection was her rejection. That that sword of peace, it struck Mary's heart and soul. She felt the life and the death of her son. She felt his rejection. She felt his crucifixion like only a mother could. She felt the pain. She felt the agony. She felt the discouragement. But she also felt 
the exhilaration, the joy of the resurrection of her son as well. When Jesus says that he's bringing a sword, and that's his way of handling peace, I think one thing that he's trying to say is this. I'm coming to do heart surgery. And not just heart surgery, I'm coming to do heart transplants. Because if you don't get a new heart, then you're not going to have lasting peace. You're going to keep trusting and substituting temporary stuff for peace, and and you're going to keep finding yourself empty. And you're going to keep substituting temporary stuff on this earth for, for peace, and you're going to find yourself hopeless and wondering, is anything ever going to work out? And yes, it is true, the, the spiritual heart surgery that Jesus does, it, it's painful. Because it slices and dices up your pride. It, it kills your arrogance. It takes out a heart of stone, but you know what it does? It, it replaces with a heart of flesh. And for all the pain that that heart surgery may do, What's on the other side of that surgery is satisfying peace. It's who Jesus is. It's what he does. Just before he was crucified, Jesus said this to his friends. John 16, 33. These things I've spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. But take courage. I have overcome the world. Now, Jesus said this in a moment where his friends were about to experience some seriously dark, terrifying hours. Jesus is about to be arrested. He's going to be beaten. He's going to be mocked. And he's going to be executed. And in the middle of those dark hours, Jesus says to his friends, hey, I'm telling you this right now so that you will have peace. (laughs) Again, this sounds like crazy talk, right? I'm giving you some peace for the events of being arrested and beaten and mocked and executed, which some of them were going to face some of those same things. Doesn't sound much like peace, does it? You can imagine as all those events are unfolding, you can imagine that, you know, the disciples are are thinking in their minds, man, that peace thing? Jesus lied. Because this is not peaceful. This is not bringing me lasting peace. This is chaos. This is turmoil. This is danger. This is hard. So they may have thought Jesus was lying, but he wasn't. (laughs) Jesus, he, he wasn't lying. They eventually understood that. They eventually figured out that the peace that Jesus gave was not primarily external. It was internal. Look, we live in a world full of sin. Full of sin and evil. We live in a world full of trials and troubles and tribulations. And guess what? Just to make sure that we don't always think that it's all those other people on the news, you know why there's so much sin and evil and trials and troubles and tribulations in the world? Because of sin. My sin and your sin. We all add to it. So how does Jesus help with all that sin and all that evil in the world? If he's the prince of peace, what what kind of peace is he bringing? This is what Paul said to the Philippians. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And what will happen as we pursue that? Listen to what he says next. And the peace of God, which surpasses all 
comprehension will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Before Paul wrote this letter, he had been beaten up for the gospel. He'd been beaten up for following Jesus. He'd been left for dead. And so in a sense, what Paul is saying is the peace of Christ is surpassing compared to being beaten up and left for dead. The peace of Christ is, is greater. And so what he's saying is this, whatever it is that we're anxious about, and guess what, we're all anxious about something. Whatever it is that we're anxious about, the peace of Christ surpasses that. Whatever we're experiencing, the peace of Christ surpasses that. It's the nature of what his peace is. And by setting this down in the context of talking about praying, Paul's kind of saying this, that if you're a believer, all your prayers are always answered. How? Why? Well, because the answer to your prayer is the peace of Christ. The surpassing peace of Christ is the answer to your prayer. The greatness of His power is the answer to your prayer. The riches of His grace, it's the answer to your prayer. The joy of being saved by Him is the answer to your prayer. The joy of being known by Him, the joy of knowing Him, those surpassing things, those are the answer to your prayer. Now, the disciples, they didn't get any of that in the moment. I mean, they didn't. What do they see? They see Jesus being arrested. They see Jesus being beaten. They see Jesus being mocked. They see Jesus being executed. There's nothing about the Prince of Peace that they're seeing with their eyes. But eventually they got it. Eventually they understood that, that God might not calm the storm, but He will calm their hearts. Eventually they understood that in the midst of all the craziness of their life, in the midst of all the stress, in the midst of all the danger, they learned that their Prince of Peace was saying to them in those moments, I am with you and I am for you. They got it. Have you ever had an MRI? I had an MRI on my brain this week. Seriously, uh, I, it, there's some concern that growing this beard has caused me to lose my mind. So, you know, there's just some, you know, not, not really sure, you know, what's going on. But, but I'm convinced after this experience that if you can survive an MRI, you can survive anything in this world. I'm telling you, you, you can make it. And for those of you who've had one, you know exactly what I'm talking about. An MRI, you're, you're laying flat in this tube that's more than snug. And, and it's like... A loud camera keeps taking pictures of you. you. You feel like you are underneath the space shuttle when it is launching and that Charlie Brown's teacher is screaming at you through a bullhorn. The whole time this thing is going on. It's crazy. When it was done and I walked out of that place, man, my adrenaline was running high. I, man, I thought I had just won the Super Bowl. Man, I just survived that. I immediately started working on my sermon. I was like, man, I got energy. Come on, let's go, let's go. But you know, I was prepared before I went into that. I made sure that I had some, some good scriptures memorized in my mind about the peace of Christ. And while I was laying there, I was, I was singing, humming to myself. I, I heard the bells on Christmas Day. I love that line. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. That's, that's who our God is. 
the first 30 or 40 seconds, ah, a little nerve-wracking, you know. And again, if you've been there, you know, it's just, you don't really know what's going on. You're thinking, man. But, but by about 50 or 60 seconds in, God had really calmed my heart just because of the truths that I was rolling through my mind about the peace of Christ. Now, somebody might say, uh, I can do the same thing with Buddhist meditations. Or I can do the same thing with my favorite classic rock songs. Or maybe I can do the same thing with, with some good prescription drugs. And you know what? You're right. Maybe you can. But again, those things will help you get through an MRI. <laughs> but Jesus and his peace will get you through more than an MRI. In fact, Jesus and his peace will get you even beyond the casket. How do we know that? Well, we know that because Jesus was born in a stable outside Bethlehem. And he grew up to be a, a young man who was arrested and crucified outside of Jerusalem. And his completely deceased body was placed into the tomb. But his body is no longer in that tomb. <laughs> Jesus is risen. He is risen indeed. Jesus is the only one who has eternally and finally and ultimately conquered death and the grave. Therefore, the peace that Jesus gives is the only peace that guarantees beyond death and the grave. See, this peace that comes from Jesus, it, it cannot be compared with anything else. It is just too amazing. Jesus, the Prince of Peace, will make peace between you and God. Jesus, the Prince of Peace, will make peace with yourself. And then Jesus will also bring peace with others. You may or may not know this too, that people are difficult. It happens every now and then. And I hate to, to bust your church bubble, but the reality is sometimes the most difficult people in the world can be professing Christians, all right? It's just true. Now here's the thing though. If you've truly been saved your primary reputation should not be that you're a difficult person. It shouldn't. And why? Romans chapter 12, verse 18, Paul writes, If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. <laughs> I know what you're thinking. Well, preacher, it's not possible, so I can just skip that verse. It's fine. No big deal. <laughs> and I would agree with you. you know, it's not possible. I love that. If possible. Oh, sorry, God, it's not possible. Not with that person. It's not possible. But here's the thing, it's really true. You're not able to do that on your own. You really do need help. And see, here's how the math works. It's amazingly simple. If you have a conflict with someone, then you need more of Jesus and they need more of Jesus. But here's the thing. You can't make them have more of Jesus. It doesn't work. So that means you're going to have to pursue Jesus on your own, passionately and with joy, Work hard at that relationship, and then you have to leave the rest to Jesus. And that's the easiest thing in the world to do, right? <laughs> no. It is, feels at least, impossible. But here's the thing. It may feel impossible, but pursuing Jesus and leaving the rest to Him, it is the most satisfying peace you will ever find. And how do we know that? How do we know that this peace that we find in Jesus is what we need the most for the dark and difficult and depressing moments of life? 
How do we know that this peace that comes for Jesus is, is what we need for our anger and our frustration for the moments that we are stressed out and wigged out? How do we know that the peace of Jesus is what we need most? Kara Tippetts was a 38-year-old mother of four. Two years ago, she died from breast cancer. She wrote about the last part of her journey on earth in her book. This is the title, The Hardest Peace, Expecting Grace in the Midst of Life's Hard. I love that title. I'm going to read it again. The Hardest Peace, Expecting Grace in the Midst of Life's Hard. This is what Kara said about the Prince of Peace. He bought me that day he died. And he showed his power when he overcame death and rose from the grave. He overcame my death in that moment. That's the Prince of Peace. She goes on. He overcame my fear of death in that unbelievable, beautiful moment. And the fruit of that death, that resurrection, and that stunning grace is peace. See, the cross is not just some Easter story. And the, the manger is not some Christmas story. It is all leading us to the peace that our souls want the most. But it comes through death. And it comes through the death of Jesus. And then she says this, It is the hardest peace because it's brutal. Horribly brutal and ugly. And we want to look away. But it is the greatest, greatest story that ever was. The greatest story. As we step into this new year of life, I so hope and pray that God will help us soak up this greatest story. The greatest story. The greatest story is Jesus. He is and will always be and longs to be your Prince of Peace.